Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing this morning? Some goods out there. That's good. That's real good. Well, welcome to Cedar Creek Community Church. I hope you guys have been enjoying this weather. The crazy bicyclist in me loves it. Um, Because I don't even have to wear gloves right now. It's really... Really nice. And I hope uh, in the last two weeks we did something called the State of the Church. I hope that for those of you who are able to catch it, that you guys uh, enjoyed doing that. I know that things like the State of the Church can be dry. They can feel stale. Sometimes they're maybe unexciting. Like we talked about financials and sometimes that bores certain people. Like I'm, my wife and I do finances together, but it is not my thing. So I'm grateful that her and I can do it side by side. Um, (laughs) And so finances of the church as well can feel a little scary or dry. But I think it's really good for us as a church to do things like the state of the church on an annual basis. It gives us as an opportunity as a church to see what the Lord has done in the previous year and seeing how he, see how he blessed us, see how he worked in our church, see how he worked in our midst, and look forward to the future and see how God is going to hopefully bless and continue to provide for and use us in this community. So I, I really like it, and as a pastor, I really appreciate it because it gives us an opportunity, or it forces us anyways, to sit down and look at, here's what we've done, here's where we're going, does that line up with God's word? Does that line up with the scriptures? Does it line up with the values and the morals and the character qualities that we profess to incorporate into our lives and here in the church? And so it's a really good opportunity as a church to do that from a leadership standpoint, but also just from everybody coming together and glorying what God has done here in the church. Now, this morning, we're going to be starting a two-week series that I'm calling The Bread of Life. I think many of you probably have an idea already where I'm going with this. But we've spent nearly two years now going through the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis, you know, starts at creation and it works its way through a whole bunch of things going on. And what we've been doing to break it up is we've been inserting these topical series into it so that we spend some focused time on Genesis, we stop, pause, and we look at something else. And this morning we're going to look at the bread of life. And I really think it's pertinent because after spending two years in the book of Genesis, we may have come face to face with this idea or this realization that a book that was written thousands of years ago is still relevant and pertinent and useful to us today. In fact, I think many times we look at books in the Old Testament And we think they aren't relevant to us in the 21st century. But then when we spend two years going through the first half of Genesis, we find that it is speaking directly to our culture and directly to us and our hearts in our current situation. And I think it's good for us to be faced with that because a lot of times we don't want to give God's word that kind of credit, that it it is still that relevant and useful to us today. Because the word throughout time, nourishes us, it comforts us, it corrects us, it consoles us, and it does so much for us as believers and a people. So it's in the knowledge of that, that God's word is the bread of life, that God's word speaks to us even when it's talking about stories thousands of years ago, that we're going to actually look at that idea, that the word is to us the bread of life. And I want to this morning talk about the temptations that we, may, we face as believers when looking at God's word. And, and I want to talk next week about some really practical tips 
on how we handle those temptations and how we get out of the ditches, as I'll talk about a little bit later. So we're going to be look at t- looking at two major temptations that we face as Christians when it comes to knowing this book, engaging with God's word, his spoken word to you and I, written down by various authors throughout time. But I'm going to pray, settle my own soul and heart here, hopefully commit our time to the Lord, and then we're going to focus in on how God's word is the bread of life and the temptations we face. So, Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful uh, for the freedom that we have this morning to be able to look at your word without fear of persecution. God, I'm grateful that your word, even the book of Genesis, still speaks to me personally and to us personally today. And I'm grateful, God, that it is um, sharp as a two-edged sword, that it divides the joints, and that you pierce our hearts with your scriptures. So God, I lift up this morning to you. I pray that you would help us see the ditches we can fall into when it comes to your word. And I pray, God, that you would reveal those things to us and help us move back on the path if, if that's where you need us. So Lord, soften our hearts to your word. Teach us who you are and how to follow you better. We love you and we commit this whole morning, our whole lives, our whole weeks to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this morning what I want to do is I want to turn our attention to God's word and the importance that it bears for you and I in our modern day lives. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I suspect some of the things that I'm going to say aren't going to land because you probably don't recognize this book as authoritative. Perhaps you're hoping that I'm going to spend some time giving you some apologetical reasons as to why we should trust this as authoritative. I'm not going there this morning. I'm, I'm starting with the assumption that you're a believer and that you believe that this is God's word given to you and I. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, I think that this is still useful and you'll see what we as Christians are aiming to do. But for those of us who are believers, for those of us who believe that this is God's authoritative word to us, for those of us who do actually believe God wrote this for us this morning, I think we need to realize, we need to be faced with the fact that we can fall into sin in regards to this book. We can fall into sin in regards to God's word. We can fall into sin by not reading it. We can fall into sin by not reading this book. And we can fall into sin in pride and how we wield it. And those are what I'm going to call the two ditches this morning. But as I say that, I suspect many of us, or some of us anyways, might be really uncomfortable. I can fall into sin by neglecting God's word. And I can fall into sin by how I wield it. I'm going to turn here to James 4:17 and let him speak directly to this. He says, "So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin." Now as Christians, I think most of us in this room recognize that it is good for us to be in God's word. We acknowledge that. And that just simply means we're reading our Bibles regularly. Now, if we need some proof of that, that God wants us in the scriptures, that he wants us consuming his word, we go back to the Old Testament, back into Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Moses is speaking. God is speaking through Moses. And he says in Moses 8, verse 3, I think it's there on the screen for you, if I can find it. 
Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we are not able to live well in our lives if we're not nourishing our body physically by eating bread, by consuming food, by regularly going to the dinner table. We are not able to live this life well spiritually if we are not going to the word of the Lord, which is God's revealed word to us, the scriptures. Now, one beautiful thing about this book that's worth noting, if we skip ahead in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed, God's word to us, the things that are revealed, they belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So, what God has revealed to us in this book, what God has revealed to us in the scriptures, is ours to know. It is ours to study. It is ours to cling to. It is ours to stand on. It is ours to trust in. Because he revealed it to us. It is good. It is true. It is beautiful. And we find as Christians, if we've been putting this into practice, that it nourishes us. It comforts us. It consoles us. It convicts us. It corrects us. It teaches us about our king who is on the throne and our positions before him. And so as believers, we need to be in this word. We need to be consuming it. We need to be regularly engaged in the scripture just like we would consume bread. Just like I get up in the morning and have breakfast around the table with my kids, lunch and dinner. And yet, even in knowing that, even in all of us recognizing we need to eat physical food, even in all of us recognizing we need to nourish ourselves spiritually through the word of God, I think we can find ourselves in these two primary ditches that get us out of sync with that. Now, I think the two biggest ditches as Christians we can get into as we regard God's word in our lives, I'm going to call the ditch of neglect and the ditch of pride. When it comes to reading God's word and being involved in God's scriptures, the the words that he's breathed out to us, we can end up in the ditch of neglect and we can end up in the ditch of pride. Now, as we work through those two ideas this morning, it is my hope that I can present them clearly to you to understand what those ditches are. It is my hope that we would all consider this morning, am I currently in one of those ditches? It is my hope if you recognize that you're in one of those ditches, you would start to crawl out of it and get back on the road to the highway to the kingdom. And it is my hope this morning that if you're not on a, in a ditch right now and you're on the road, that you would recognize which ditch you're prone to, which ditch you might lean towards and find yourself slipping off into and be warned of the dangers of those ditches. So, our goal this morning is to look at those two ditches, hopefully get out of them or be warned so that we don't fall into them. So, we're going to start with the ditch of neglect. We want to stay out of the ditch of neglect when it comes to the scriptures in our lives. Now, I say that, and when, when I think of this idea of the ditch of neglect, I think most of us, including myself, immediately go to the idea of, I don't ever read God's word. If I'm neglecting the scriptures, that just means I'm not, I'm not reading it at all. 
I have a Bible maybe. It's on the top shelf of my bookshelf somewhere at home. If I picked it up, I would sneeze profusely because there's so much dust flying off of it. A ditch where we never read our Bibles. And I would submit that that is the bottom of the ditch. That is, in fact, the bottom of the ditch, that muddy, filthy bottom of the ditch. And I believe that would be a grave mistake for any of us here as Christians this morning. Because how can you and I know our Lord, how can we know his blessings and his commandments, if we're not engaged with it ourselves? And I would suggest also that it would be a grave mistake for anyone who leads anyone. And now you, immediately you think, well, okay, that's, that'd be a grave mistake for the pastor, and amen, hallelujah, it would be a grave mistake for me if I wasn't engaged regularly in the scriptures, or if Mark wasn't, or, or Rob wasn't, or one of the deacons here wasn't, or one of the ministry leaders here wasn't, but who here's a mom or dad? If you're leading other people, you're leading kids to the Lord, you have to be involved in this book. If we neglect outright ignoring the scriptures, that would be the extreme end of the ditch. That's the bottom of the bottom. We don't want to be there. And that, that's the extreme end. And I think as we look at that, we, we would caricaturize it as, as at minimum folly and foolishness. Or with more fear and trembling, maybe a lack of salvation altogether. No love for the word that our Heavenly Father has given to us to teach us, to instruct us. And if that's where you are this morning, if you're in the ditch, the the muddy bottom, and you never read God's word, you, you don't pay any heed to his scriptures, know that your heavenly father loves you. Know that he cares deeply about your soul and he wants you out of the ditch. He wants to help you get up over that hump and into the middle of the road. And know that you have a choice this morning to begin to work hand in hand with the Lord to crawl out of that ditch. But also know that if you choose to stay there, wallowing in the mud or the filth or however you want to look at this idea of being stuck at the bottom of a ditch, know that if you choose to stay there, you have very little hope for a life that honors God. You have very little hope to experience any of the conditional promises in the scriptures. You can't know a conditional promise from the Lord and your part to play in it and play the part if you don't know what he's telling you. Now I say all that and you probably think, man, that feels harsh. I say that with trembling and I say that in love. To know our Heavenly Father, to know the promises and blessings that he gives us, whether conditional or guaranteed, we have to be engaged in the scripture. And I just desire all of us to see the true condition of our soul before our king. And if repentance is needed, repent, which just means change your way, start crawling out of the ditch, hand in hand with your Heavenly Father. I suspect, though, most of us aren't Rock bottom, right? We're, we're not completely neg- neglecting God and his word. But I think there are more common ways we find ourselves kind of on the slope of this ditch, towards the bottom, maybe kind of halfway. Now, some of the more common ways we might find ourselves in this ditch is we think, well, I understand this well enough. I've heard some sermons. I get the basic gist of the gospel. i, I God's king, I get that. Satan's bad. And so we don't study, we don't read, we don't think deeply about the word. 
I got the gist of it. I'm good. Kind of just move on with my life. That's one area we could, or one way we can be in that ditch. Another way we can be in that ditch is we look at the word and we look at the concepts, we look at the doctrines and the biblical uh, theology that comes out of here and we think, I really like those theologies. Those are great. I'm going to camp there. And all those other ones that I really don't understand or they make me uncomfortable, not going to think about those. I won't study them. I won't try to understand them. I'm just going to eh, leave that off to the side. Now, how that can play out for us, are you a more pragmatic individual? I'm a little bit more of a pragmatic individual. Proverbs are just mwah. Like every single one is like a guy taking a wet fish and smacking me across the cheek. Like, well, <laughs> I need to do that. I don't want to do that. And if you're real pragmatic, you're real practical, Proverbs might be your jam. And so you spend time there, maybe Ecclesiastes too. Or if you're really a New Testament guy, James, right? If you've ever read James, the dude is just throwing left hook, right hook, uppercut, and everything is practical and easy to understand. So maybe you're real practical and you're like, ah, man, those are the places I like to camp. That's good. You can be wired that way. It's good to camp there. But there's a lot more to Scripture. We can't just focus on practical, pragmatic things. Maybe you're not that way. Maybe you're emotional. And you read the Psalms and they just stir your heart. I was talking with someone recently about this. When it comes to the Psalms, for the longest time, they were just a grind for me to get through. I just, that's just not the way I'm naturally bent or naturally wired. And the more I read them, the more I study them, the more deeply they stir my soul in a way I don't understand. But if you're really emotional, you can just camp in the Psalms and ignore all the Proverbs where it talks about how I should manage my money and manage my household and things like that. Both those bents are fine and good. Loving the Psalms is great. Loving the Proverbs is great. But we can just camp in one area of Scripture and begin to neglect all of the other things that make us well-rounded, God-glorifying, Christ-like individuals. And so we need to be careful that we're not doing that. Some of us want to read only parts and just re reject others. Now, I think most of us don't do that necessarily, like putting it on a sign. I, I reject Psalms or I reject Proverbs. But we focus in on one area or another. And that causes us to not have a well-rounded view of who our Lord is. That causes us to not have a well-rounded view of how we're supposed to live in a life that glorifies and honors God. Now, an extreme example of this. So we, we could all do that. That was where we could kind of find ourselves. I like some things and I don't like others. Have ever, any of you ever read about Thomas Jefferson? Thomas, Jeff, Thomas Jefferson had his own Bible. He, he physically went through and cut the parts out he didn't like. Now, I don't know if anybody here in the room has done that. I don't. But we can do that when we only focus on the parts of God we like. Our culture talks about how our God is love, and he is love. But love is not God. And we conflate those two and we mix them up. Other people get all excited about judgment and wrath. And the love part is just pushed aside. We have to have a full encompassing picture of who our Heavenly Father is and how he has made this world and made us to interact with him. And so, we don't want to be a Thomas Jefferson. 
either physically cutting stuff out of our Bible or just going through the Sharpie and, and you know, covering the stuff we don't like. What's other ways that we can neglect God? Many of us, we've been encouraging all of you to have quiet times. Many of us have quiet times. You spend five minutes or ten minutes reading the scriptures in the morning. We can neglect God's word in doing that. I read my five minutes, I didn't think about it at all, and I go through my day as if it never happened. And I go through my day living my life the way I see fit, willy-nilly, or taking the advice of some guy on a podcast or some preacher on stage who I can't test against the scripture because I don't know them. And so we can neglect God's word by not being attentive to it, by not paying attention to what we're reading. So now, here we are, and I've elaborated on some ways I think we can neglect the scriptures. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, you've shown me in Deuteronomy where I'm supposed to be engaged with the word, but what you're presenting, this ditch of neglect, it kind of feels like maybe it's a man-made construct. Maybe I don't actually need to do this that much. But this, this idea that I'm calling the ditch of neglect isn't man-made. This isn't some construct I've formed up or cooked up and some philosophy I'm just trying to push on our church this morning. This ditch is actually mentioned throughout the scriptures. If we read through the Old Testament, we find God over and over commanding the Israelites, don't forget, don't forget, bind it on your wrists, on your foreheads, put it on the doorposts of your house so that it is ever before you. If you forget, you will go astray. And if you want to dive into that, go back to Deuteronomy 8. We spent a little time there. Read the whole chapter. And why does God do this? Because he doesn't want his people to forget. Now, that was the Hebrews, the Israelites then. That is us as Christians now. If we look to Proverbs, Proverbs lays out for us a long list of warnings regarding this ditch of neglect, neglecting to put God's word before us regularly. And if we are like the Israelites throughout the Old Testament, if we can forget like them, we will reap consequences of that. So I'm going to turn to a few verses here, and I want to show what the Lord has revealed to us about this ditch of neglect. In Proverbs 13, 13, it says, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. He who despises the word brings destruction on himself. Now, when you hear that, when I hear that, despising the word, I can't imagine any of us thinking, yeah, I actively hate God's word. Gross. Yuck. I'm not reading that. Surely we don't actively hate it. And so we may read that proverb and think, not guilty, moving on. That, which is pretty true to me, I read that and that's what I think. But as I dove into that verse a little bit more, I realized that in one way or another, I have been guilty of this, and I suspect everyone in this room has been guilty of this warning here. We have despised God's word. And so what I wanted to do, and I like to do, is I consulted Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. So I have a definition here of, no, of, of, uh, of despise, and it, to despise in Noah Webster's 1828 is to contemn, hmm. to scorn, to disdain, to have the lowest opinion of. The first word that he puts in this definition, contemn, 
I honestly read and I scratched my head a little bit and I thought it was a typo. I went to the Noah Webster's online version and they have a few in there once in a while. So I cracked open my big old tome of Noah Webster's 1828 reprint, bam, set it on my desk, opened it up and lo and behold, the word contempt is a real word. It's not contempt, I thought it was a typo. But it is to contemn. And that non-typo and his word choice there is convicting. So we look up the definition of this word contemn, one I've never used before three, four weeks ago. It's to slight, to neglect as unworthy of regard, to reject with disdain. And so in these two definitions we see to have the lowest opinion of is to despise, to neglect as unworthy of regard. Who here has ever had a problem in their life? Okay, all of us. Have you ever had a problem in your life and your first thought isn't to turn to the Lord and his word? Probably all guilty of that. Instead of turning to the Lord and turning to his word, we, we seek the advice of friends. We seek the emotional support of the men around us or the women around us. We go to a self-help book, which could be good. But we don't turn to the Lord first. We don't turn to his word first. It's in that we are neglecting it as unworthy of regard. Of the highest regard. Now I want to be clear, I'm not condemning any of those things. Advice of friends, emotional support, self-help books, if they're God-honoring and biblical, are great. They're all good sources of information. I love reading books. I love talking to you and having you refine me in doctrinal understandings. But if we are not going to him first, we are contemning his word. We are despising his word. And that proverb warns us that in doing so, we will bring destruction on ourselves. We neglect the word when we don't turn to it first with the problems in our lives. Carrying on here in Proverbs, another proverb Solomon lays out for us in Proverbs 19.27. He says, Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Okay, so this one here is written for all of us who have some understanding of the Scriptures. We have some knowledge about what God has communicated to us. This whole thing is alluding to a person who has heard the word already. Maybe we've read it once or twice. You feel like you've gotten the gist of it. And yet, if we stop listening, we stray. We find ourselves just glossing through life, riding on the fumes of our past faithfulness and our past understanding. Now, when we start neglecting God's word, when we aren't practicing it and thinking about it and meditating on it regularly. And so we skip a day and then another day and then another day. We will not find ourselves immediately in grave sin. We will not find ourselves immediately in deep and life-threatening danger and standing on the edge of destruction. But it's that regular and consistent slow fade that we find ourselves going astray from the words of knowledge as it's laid out here in Proverbs 19. Over time, we will drift. And so we have to keep it on the forefront of our mind, just like God said in Deuteronomy 8. Bind these up on your hand, your forehead, the doorposts. Don't forget. Remind yourself. Remind yourself. Turning to another proverb that's, I think, 
greatly related to this. Proverbs 28, verses 4 through 5, it says, Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Have you ever read the news, or probably, probably a better place, who, who's on social media and read the comment section of some controversial post? And you find people in that comment section, comment section who you know profess Christ, and they're praising wicked things. They're saying things and you're like, uh, red flag, eyebrow raised, very concerned. This is how we find ourselves praising wicked things. We begin to neglect God's word and we don't understand justice. We don't understand the goodness of our God. We don't understand the revealed things. And so when we forsake his law, either by neglecting it, by ceasing to hear it, by not reading it altogether, we find ourselves praising things that God does not praise, that he would call sin or an abomination or wicked or evil. We lose our ability to discern good from evil right from wrong, up from down, righteous from unrighteous when we forsake the law. So we need to be on guard so that we don't start praising evil things. Perhaps the most sobering one, however, in this same chapter, Proverbs 28, verse 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Neglecting the word of God, your prayer becomes an abomination. I can't state that verse much clearer than Solomon did. I think it's sobering. If I want to hinder my prayers, if I want to make my thoughts and my ways before the Lord detestable, I neglect God's word. So we're probably asking them, that's... That makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up to, to think about this idea that my God won't, won't even heed my prayers. They're abomination. They're gross. Why would turning away from hearing the law make our prayers an abomination? I think this verse isn't all that dissimilar to the very first one that we looked at. Turning away from the law, ceasing to hear it, ceasing to consume God's word. If we're not doing it, we're holding it and we're contemning it. We're, it's unworthy of regard in our life. We don't really actually care what he thinks about a situation. We don't care how he would help, how we should navigate a situation and, and act in righteousness. We're, we won't bend our ear to listen to him. To give us a picture of this, imagine having a teen son who won't take correction. For 17 years or some set of years you've been raising and trying to instill morals and values, you've been giving advice, you've been giving counsel, and then yet this son makes a mess of everything. Hasn't listened. Wayward, obstinate. And that child comes to you for advice. I want this fixed. Help me fix this, Dad. And it seems obvious to you or to me that my son or your son has no, no intention of listening to you in the future. They just want you to fix it. They just want it to go away. They're just using you to fix their life and fix their problems. I'm not con condemning true repentance. True repentance is good. 
There's lots of examples of it in the scriptures. But if we're trying to manipulate God, I, I don't hold your word in any worthy regard in my life. I won't read it. Yet I want you to help me fix this problem in my life. And then as soon as that's over, I'm going back to what I was doing. We can't manipulate God. We're just fooling ourselves. See, when we cease hearing, cease hearing God's law, we are unable to identify our own sin. We don't have the slightest clue on how to move forward. And even the ideas that we come up with to fix things in our lives aren't good. They aren't honoring to the Lord. And when we cease to hear his word, we're saying, I don't desire God's way. I desire my way. And maybe I can manipulate this great vending machine of blessing and things will work out. And so brothers and sisters, we need to be very careful we're not in the ditch of neglect. And that can look for us like a lot of things. We neglect it by not reading it altogether. That's the bottom of that ditch. I I don't regard it. I don't pay attention. My Bible's covered in dust on the top shelf. We neglect it by contemning it. Maybe we know it, but we aren't going to put it into practice in our lives. We aren't going to go to his word first. We're going to go to other things. We neglect it by not practicing it. We neglect it by not listening. So there's, that's the ditch of neglect. And that's where I hope we can all stay out of or get out of if we're in it. But I mentioned earlier that there's a second ditch that we can end up in on the other side of the road. Some of us will naturally find us, ourselves in the ditch of neglect. Others of us will find ourselves in what I'm calling the ditch of pride. In fact, I would suggest if you've been in the ditch of neglect, it's pretty easy to swing up and over the road, miss it, and end up in this one. So, here we are, trying to get out of the ditch of neglect, swinging up over, and now we've fallen into the other side. We've gotten serious, we're committed, we're going to study God's word, we're going to try to make it a daily practice in our lives, we are going to read, and we end up in the ditch of pride. It should come as no surprise to you and I that mankind, that you and I as humans, in our wretchedness, in our sinfulness, can turn anything good, like God's word, into an idol or a sin area in our lives. And studying the word, being committed to God and his word is no different. We can get into pride, and it can also produce great folly. And we don't need to turn very far in the scriptures to find examples of this. If we turn to Matthew 23, we see Jesus pronouncing seven woes upon the Pharisees and the scribes. And so I'm going to turn to that here briefly. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus is speaking to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. See, the scribes and Pharisees, they were totally consumed with the studying of the word and they were doing everything they could to follow it to perfection. Can you imagine going out into your garden and tithing off your herbs? I think many of us don't hold tithing in that high of regard today. And yet they were so concerned with it, they were tithing off their herb gardens. They were meticulous And yet Jesus calls them out here. He says, you neglected the weightier matters. You neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
Yeah, you should be tithing from your herb garden. But the big things you're missing. Their teaching was good, their knowledge was good, and even Jesus commends this. If you turn back in that chapter to the beginning, in verse 3, Matthew 23, verse 3. So do, he's commanding us, so do and observe whatever they tell you, the scribes and the Pharisees, but don't do the works they do. Because their teaching was good, their knowledge was good, but their hearts were blackened with pride. Pride in their own wisdom, pride in their own understanding, pride in their knowledge, and pride in their obedience to the meticulous, tiny matters of Scripture. In their attempt to be committed to God and His Word, they had fallen into what I'm calling the ditch of pride. Fortunately, if we pay attention to the Scriptures, we're given a lot of warnings about this ditch. It's not just the scribes and the Pharisees. We're going to go back to Proverbs here, a passage we've quoted many times here on a Sunday morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verses, uh, what do I got here, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Again, we're going to jump ahead here in Proverbs 26, verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Again, in Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. See, the reality is when you and I begin to study, try to get out of the ditch of neglect, and we focus on God's word, we may find ourselves overcompensating and swinging into the ditch of pride. And this can look like a lot of things. Look how many times I've read the Bible. More than you. How many of you read it? Twice, huh? Mm. Many more myself. Pride in, in our study that we feel like we understand everything. I got this thing figured out. I understand it all. Or maybe not all, like 95% of it. I'm pretty good. Pride in all sorts of foolish and destructive thinking that lead to not good ends. We find ourselves becoming dogmatic about areas of doctrine we have no business being dogmatic about. Now, dogmatism has a bad name. Dogmatism is being convinced in your mind, having conviction about things in Scripture. That's good. The problem is, is we, we get that conviction about things that we have no business bludgeoning other people about. We begin to foolishly think that our understanding on these minor molehills are so watertight that we think other views are preposterous and we just scoff at them. How could you think in this ecclesiology? I don't even know which one I think is right. And so we find ourselves looking down at people who hold alternate views to us in debatable matters. Now that is not to say we can't have deep conviction. We absolutely as Christians need to have deep conviction. And it is good for us to have deep conviction. But we begin in our pride to bludgeon people on debatable matters and our opinions of the scriptures. Now this is all avoided. God gives us a way to avoid this. It says here that we do so in humility. It is avoided by trusting in the Lord and not our own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Now that doesn't mean we can't understand anything. 
That's nonsensical. If we look at Deuteronomy 29, 29, we're shown that the revealed things are, us, are, are given to us to study, to know, to think deeply about. But it also means that we have to have humility on the things that he hasn't revealed. He talks about the secret things in the word that are revealed or reserved for God alone. So I wanted to look at humility. We need to have humility in our thinking. So I went to Noah Webster's dictionary, so we got three. I'm making up for the ones I missed. Um, but humility is in ethics, freedom from pride and arrogance, a humbleness of mind, and a modest estimation of one's own worth. Now, I would take this definition, just tweak it a little bit, just for our application here this morning, and I would make it a modest estimation of one's own intelligence, or a modest estimation of one's own understanding of the word. I find it fascinating that as I dive into God's word, The more I study it, the more I pour over it, looking for those little gemstones, those little nuggets of gold hidden somewhere deep in what feel like caves, I find more. I learn more. More nuggets and more gems are collected and put in my bucket. And as I do that, I realize how little I actually know. It's like my knowledge of God and who he is grows and my realization of my lack of understanding grows along with it. And so as we study God's word, we have to have that humility. Humility to acknowledge we are learning and humility to acknowledge that there's a lot we still don't understand. So we must not only neglect God's word by not reading it, we also need to make sure we're not in the ditch of pride, growing proud and arrogant and condescending. Now maybe as I lay out that idea of, well, I'm growing in conviction and How is it that I become proud in it? We need a a bit of a word picture. I'm going to go back four years. Everybody here, except maybe Jalen, unless there's another baby in here I'm not seeing, lived through COVID. Masks. If you wore a mask, you may have looked down at anybody who didn't for not. You aren't being loving. You're not loving your neighbor. Those who wouldn't looked at anybody who was wearing one and may have thought, you're given in the lies, you're perpetuating untruth, you're not trusting God. Both people are pointing at each other. Have you seen that Spider-Man meme? They're both pointing at each other. You're in sin. No, you're in sin. I'd submit to you the position isn't the problem. Mask or no mask. But your posture is the problem. The pride is the problem. Debate over debatable matters is good. It is good. So we don't want to throw out that. Debate over whether masks or not masks is good. Having conviction whether which Spider-Man you are is good. But as soon as we get proud, the whole thing runs amok. Everything falls apart. And so you and I this morning have two ditches that we need to avoid. We don't want to neglect our commitment to God and his word. Unable to discern follies of our culture. Unable to discern right from wrong, up from down. Unable to discern the way that we're supposed to lead our family, how our family is supposed to work. And we also need to make sure we don't end up in that ditch of pride. 
Because in that pride, we become condescending and arrogant. We find ourselves breaking fellowship with people who truly love the Lord over molehills of doctrine. All proud people display conviction in their beliefs. All proud people display conviction in their beliefs, but not all people who display conviction are proud. Just because somebody has conviction does not necessarily make them proud. And if we're not careful and thoughtful and prayerful as we seek the Lord and his word, we will find ourselves swinging out of one ditch into the next, just bobbing back and forth, pride to negligence, pride to ignorance. And you and I may actually find ourselves preferring one ditch or another. I've seen this as well. We get this idea, well, pride is a big sin. So I'm not going to study because I think I'm going to get proud. I'll read a little bit. I'll catch a podcast and a teaching here and there. I won't make any conviction, develop any conviction on anything because I don't want to be proud and I don't want to ruffle any feathers and I don't want to have that good, godly, humble debate over how we honor and love the Lord. Or we find ourselves saying, well, well, that guy's life's a mess. He's been neglecting God's word. I'm tithing from my herb garden and getting arrogant and condescending and puffed up against our brothers and sisters over what I'll call theological nuance. Now again, when I say that, we can have deep conviction, and we should have deep conviction. And you and I don't need to get in debate over major theological themes like the gospel, the trinity, Jesus' sacrificial atonement, propitiation, the fallenness of man. Like we, we all agree on those things, jar one things. But when we start breaking fellowship over jar three issues, things that really don't matter and God has left in the gray on purpose, he kept it a secret thing in Deuteronomy 29, we have found ourselves in that ditch of pride. So we have two ditches to avoid. And if we're living in one of them, I would encourage you, start crawling out of it. Your Lord wants to help you. He wants to take your hand and pull you up back onto that road. And if you find yourself oscillating between the two, also cry out to the Lord and ask for his help to humble you and to grow you in your daily discipline of spending time in his word. And why is this important? Why have I spent a whole morning talking about this? Because what you believe comes out your fingertips. Our theology comes out our fingertips. What God has revealed to us, if we believe it, if we really are trying to put this into practice in our life, it affects everything. It affects everything that you do. It changes how we engage with people of the opposite sex. It changes how we interact with our culture. It changes how we interact with our husbands and our wives in our marriage. It changes how you respect your boss. It changes everything you do how you raise your kids, how you interact with your in-laws. And, if, and so we ought to pay attention to what we believe, and we have to do that. We can't neglect the word. And we also can't get puffed up and bludgeon everyone around us as we seek to understand his word. So I would encourage all of us this morning, consider what ditch you're in, if you're in one. And if you're not in a ditch, look at the two and take warning so that you don't start drifting towards one or the other. So may we as a church carefully, thoughtfully, prayerfully be exalting God's word in our lives to our authority, avoiding one ditch and the other. Let's pray. uh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful you give us this book penned over thousands of years. Your word to us, 
that teaches, that instructs. God, I pray for our hearts. I pray that my heart and and all of our hearts would avoid the ditch of neglect, God, that we would hold your word in high regard, that we would go to it first. And God, I pray also that in that we wouldn't grow proud, that we would understand that there are things that are too high for us, that we would understand, Lord, that you gave us things to cling to and you kept other things secret. And so, God, I pray for us. Help us hold your word in high regard and help us stay out of pride and arrogance and condescension to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that your Holy Spirit does this in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for coming to Cedar Creek. And I look forward to continuing this series where we talk about practical tips next week.